find other great podcasts like this one at podmoth.network. You know what? Cats are better than dogs, and I'm tired of pretending they're not. Wow. Okay. What makes cats so much better? Well, for one thing, they're much better bakers. Oh, because uh, they make biscuits? What? No, because they have built-in whiskers. Hey everyone, Dave here to tell you about my show Cryptic Cocktail Party. Looking for a good time filled with laughter, intriguing tales, and a splash of the supernatural? Well, maybe I can help. Every week I bring on a rotating cast of guests to have a few drinks, share a few laughs, and take a dive into the unknown. Join us as we raise our glasses and tell the tales of some of the world's most famous cryptids, from the legendary Grafton monster to the elusive Dover demon and the enigmatic Mothman. But that's not all. Our party spills over into the world of the extraterrestrial, encounter the spine-chilling Flatwoods monster, the mischievous Hopkinsville goblin, and uncover the truth about infamous alien encounters. You need a dash of mystery? We got you covered. Delve into mind-blowing conspiracy theories such as the infamous Philadelphia experiment and the secrets hidden within the Denver airport. Cryptic Cocktail Party is a weekly comedy podcast that guarantees laughter, curiosity, and a few surprises along the way. Cheers to the unknown. Welcome to Getting Down and Wordy, the only musical and etymological podcast, to my knowledge. That's the only one I've ever listened Mm -hmm. to, which is a real shame. Like, what a jerk I am. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, I, by the way, am Russell Perkle. I'm Hannah, and I'm also on the podcast. And today, it's not just me also on the podcast, but a very, very special guest that I am very excited to introduce with us today is a songwriter, content creator, TikTok star, father to Lenny and Mardog, uh, our new friend, Matt Hobbs. Hey, <laughs> thanks for having you, me. You started that out like you were, uh, who's that guy in, inside the actor's studio, James Lipton or whatever? <laughs> <laughs> Which I really like that energy. <laughs> oh, Okay, well, I'll, I'll try to bring a little bit more James Lipton iced tea. Yeah, from now on, every episode of the podcast, you do James Lipton. I'll do mm-hmm. um, uh, iced tea. Fraser Crane. Okay, iced tea. Yeah, there we go. <laughs> James Lipton iced tea. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> Matt, Mr. I've, I've Matt. Been, <laughs> I've been calling you Matt Puppy Songs. Does anyone else, do you go by that as well? Like as if it's your last name? Uh no, but it works. Uh, that's the first I've heard it uh, in the wild, but uh, so, it works. Uh, uh, I'll be puppy, songs. puppy songs. Hannah and I are both really <laughs> big fans. You know, uh, these really great, like I, I, I don't know. They're really funny. Uh, obviously, they're they're songs about your dogs. They're very funny songs, and I just like the level of creativity where it's like each song sounds so different from the the other songs. You know, this is this is a factor of it I really appreciate. It's true. Oh my gosh. Like you have such a variety of of different like flavors. And just for a little bit of background, let's talk a little bit about what puppy songs is and what it means to you. 
<laughs> Such yeah. a deep question, Jesus. Yeah, that's that's huge. Well, okay, uh, well, hang on. <laughs> Before we get into that, I do have a I do have a question for you. Um, who's a good boy? Well, they're all they're all good boys and girls. Uh, all the pups are all the pups are good, and all the pups uh, are 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 worthy of songs in my experience. Well that's said. Great. Yeah, that's yeah. a that's a crazy <laughs> thing too. I saw you kind of like. You have your own dogs, right? And you do a lot of songs for them, but you also seem to just do songs about other dogs. And I was like, is, are these dogs friends of his or are people requesting a song for their dog? Or does he just watch videos that come up and say, oh, I feel really inspired to make a song for this video? It's all three. So wow. the, the, the meat and potatoes of the project are the, are the songs uh, from Lenny and Marpup's perspective. That's predominantly what I spend the most time doing through their eyes. And so occasionally, all three of those have happened, like the situations you've mentioned with other dogs. So I've had family members' dogs. Uh, I've had friends' dogs. Uh, I've also occasionally, I get a lot of requests that I'm unable to to keep up with all of them. But every once <laughs> in a while, um, I'll, I'll encounter a creator or a dog or the dog of a creator who inspires a song or i'm like oh that would be cool and that's where i indulge in these different vibe theme songs so i finally just got out for example like grim's theme song which originally was released uh that was a collab i did with cecilia who lives on an island close to the north pole i did that song that's like two years ago and i'm just now finally getting an extended version of it out onto spotify and kind of re-released it but um it's a cool way to mix in some variety and to feature other kinds of dogs because inherently there's parts of my experience with two senior Pomeranian Chihuahua mixes that there's some dog stuff that they don't do. So it's not really like, there's no, I don't have any truth to access for that. So um, <laughs> it's kind of neat when I can also swing it around and write something in the third person um, and do classic theme songs, especially for mm -hmm. something like Grimm. That's one of my favorites. Um, but yeah, I, I, it adds variety for sure and keeps keeps it interesting. Who has been your favorite guest a puppy so far? There have been many. Um, <laughs> one, one of my, a, it's it's really that's really like, like putting him on the spot. Yes, that is. Yeah, yeah I, it seems, seems I'll unfair. Say, I'll say that like make him pick a favorite. The ones at, at any given moment when I'm finishing a song and it's going to be released. There's something that makes it my favorite. The one that that I'm working on at that point is ideally incorporating something new, a challenge for me, mm -hmm. maybe using something I haven't done before. That makes me more excited about it. Uh, who do we just have cross the screen? Here? <laughs> <laughs> so just, this is this is this is my dog. I should have disguised them as dogs for the episode. So I'm I'm a uh, <laughs> I'm a dirty cat owner. I don't actually that's great uh, own any dogs, <laughs> and I prefer cats. <laughs> and who is this? Who do we have here? Uh, this is yogurt. Yogurt. Hi, yogurt. And I have another one, but she's she's disappeared at this point. Uh, yogurt likes to have her opinions known. <laughs> Good. Yeah, she, we try to keep them off of the podcast audio, but it's really tough. <laughs> So. <laughs> well, it's nice uh, to meet you yogurt I, I was thinking about like I, I read recently since the uh, 
you know, you can get your dog like 23 and mead now, essentially. You can get the genetic uh, history of your dog. And apparently, like most dogs, if it's smaller than, you know, a big dog, it's probably like majority Chihuahua. You know, it's like Chihuahua mm-hmm. DNA is like makes up over half of most wow. of the little dogs, you know. Mm-hmm. Well, um, Mark, Pup, and Lenny, you said they're po- Pomeranian mixes? Yeah, they're both Pomeranian Chihuahua mix. Oh, how adorable. And they are cute as heck. And Sugar Face. Yeah. Oh, my yeah. goodness. They're the sweetest. And they're very, very different personalities. Lenny definitely, Lenny is the shorter hair. Uh, she she definitely has more Chihuahua personality um and marpup but they're litter mates they're sisters so um you know marpup is is definitely more palm and is more fluffy but they you know they they were surprise um surprise puppies in my wife's neighborhood a long long time ago so she was able to to take a a couple of them and uh, she's been with them ever since and i've known them now for seven eight years and um wow it's they're the best they're my favorite. <laughs> they are super duper adorable. What what did they do? What was what did they do originally that where you were just like, I have to put this into music? You know, like what was the thing? Like what was your like inspiration I mean, they just, point? They just existed. Um, <laughs> I, I make songs. I make songs about everything. Um, yeah, literally everything. My wife says I have turned her life into a musical. Uh, so oh, that's so sweet. Yeah, so I've um, I made songs up about them and often improvising songs from their perspective and endowing them with these huge emotional positions because they're so expressive, these little faces. So um, I, I've been doing that for a long time. And then once the, um, the lockdown happened and all my other all my other work went away. Um, I needed more practice uh, recording and producing and mixing different kinds of songs. So I said, what if we actually make the ones that I sing from the dog's perspective and practice them? And so now we've done almost 160, or I've done almost 160 in three and a half years. Um, And there's plenty more happening on the the wall behind me. Dang. So I thought that was like a periodic table. I was so confused. <laughs> well, I am inspired by the periodic table. Uh, my periodic table is in the other room. I keep that. Okay. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Oh, well, yeah. Um, some something something joke about elements. The elements <laughs> sure. surprise. I guess <laughs> nailed it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, and uh, oh man, I was gonna say something that I forgot again, but. Like oh I we should just mention so of course Matt Matt uh, Hobbs you can find his music on TikTok I, I I think that seems to be the main place where people discover you but you're also on Spotify yep. uh, YouTube you can find the songs on YouTube if you're old like me and uh, <laughs> I, I presume you're on Apple Music and such as well yeah 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 what do you so, for so I understand you you basically this is just one facet of your whole thing but. Just talk about the puppy song stuff specifically first. Like, who do you see as your target audience? Like, when you're making these songs, who do you imagine to be your listener and who do your listeners tend to be in your experience? So, it's a good question. It's a good marketing question. <laughs> um, so, early on, I did, I'm a very like strategic person and I do, I like thinking that way, but I can confidently say that 
early on, this was a deeply personal attempt to try to access a style of music for me and a product that I just wanted to make. Almost purely <laughs> selfish reasons across the board. The what, the how, the when. Um, I, I, everything about it was just me trying to make the songs that are generally entertaining to me. And, uh, and it's also it's like a challenge. It's like, what if somebody actually took these silly songs that I quickly learned that a lot of people sing for their pets? What if somebody <laughs> took it way too far and, um, well, just took it way too far, like, like <laughs> a very intense, serious treatment of silly subject matter. And so that, that was where it started. It came from like, almost like I've written a lot of different kinds of music over the years and I've always done silly type things, but this was the first time I went straight at it. And so that was the goal was to just be honest and silly. And, um, I don't know, explore writing from a dog's perspective, which was kind of a cool challenge from a songwriting <laughs> angle. Um, but nowadays, you know, I'm, I'm pretty tuned in to the audience we have. It's a lot of um, uh, women uh, 25 to 45 with dogs in most cases. Uh, but it's it, that's just on like TikTok. It's different on Instagram. It's different on YouTube. It's just all kinds of people. I have hypotheses. I think there's people, people born like between the early 80s and mid 90s, like when the music touches on cartoon or theme song mm. nostalgia. Because um, I use a lot of like Rhodes and Wurlitzer, electric piano. So like, I think there's, I don't know. I, I don't know. And, and I try to keep it. I try to be aware of who is consuming the product, but I also try to keep it honest to how it's created from the inside. The uh, and that's like I don't know. That's that's who we've seen. Uh, it, it isn't. It, it's. A, I'm very aware that it's a product that a lot of people consume and enjoy, but also I'm, mm -hmm. I like to keep it vulnerable and honest and coming from a place where I'm trying new things and trying to be a a different side of my artistic output. And do you think of this as like the the main? I'm sorry, I'll stop interviewing you in a minute. But like, <laughs> just for and again, coming back to marketing, is this kind of the? This is like your main project now, or there's some other things people should know about that you do. Uh, do you have other bands, other styles of music, other projects that you're working on? I do entirely too many things uh, outside <laughs> of this. So this is my main product. I can confidently say that this is the thing that is the flagship of the fleet. Uh, I am I am also using it as a very active public portfolio of being able to make custom songs, uh, novelty songs, jingles, um, advertising things, which I've done a lot of work for advertising jingles as well as like, um, I don't know, things like puppy songs, short, silly songs, mm -hmm. but I also write songs. I've been in bands that none of them are active currently, but I make music as me, Matt Hobbs. I have a <laughs> single that I'm putting out the third version of, um, as we're recording this tomorrow, a new song called how amazing. It's like a pop song. So I write pop and country and different things, folk music. Um, as me, I also, I also am working on a musical that I've been working on for like five and a half years. Uh, wow. workshopped around Atlanta. Uh, I, are any of the characters dogs? Not in this one. Not in this Yeah, a dog, uh, all dog. Uh, the actors are dogs. They're playing humans, yeah. but the actors are dogs. There you go. Yes. Oh, that's fun. so perfect. Think about it. <laughs> Just have to teach the dogs to lip sync, and then it'll be all good. Yeah. So I, I 
I usually ask this question. It's usually uh, with somebody whose music that we're not actually currently discussing. What's the karaoke factor on puppy song? <laughs> like for I would me, love to puppy go song to is a... perfect karaoke. Yeah. That would be hilarious to go to a bar just demand to let to let you <laughs> sing puppy songs. <laughs> I said I want the cheese tax, damn it. <laughs> I, I don't know. How do we get into the karaoke bars? I don't even know. That's how a to... great question. I, I, I've, <laughs> I've, learned, I've learned that um, if you don't put up lyric videos for your songs on YouTube, <laughs> other people will, mm. and they'll upload your song without the authority to do so right uh and uh and then get a bunch of views oh so no. i've in the last uh two or three months i've started to make lyric videos for the songs that i release so if it's like a youtube kind of like diy uh karaoke situation um folks can find at least like big stretch and cheese tax and uh where the not where the heck is mom i'm following mom like some of our more recent oh uh, Spotify i love following so, mom oh my gosh so may, maybe that can be a, a, a something we add to the roadmap though i, I love that you idea of puppy songs karaoke yeah. that'd be so fun branch out into karaoke you gotta do it I, I <laughs> especially mean, uh, now nowadays there's these like dog bars you know so you, it's like a yeah. bar where they have a dedicated dog area so you can drink and have your dogs play with other dogs i mean dog bar karaoke night where they're like all dog themed songs you know animal themed awesome. songs uh, I'd go. <laughs> i used to have a beagle that would sing the star spangled banner with me oh <laughs> <laughs> it's so patriotic wow. i'm saying that i know i was a really patriotic kid it was weird but i'm saying like it would be really fun to do like dog person duets at the karaoke it's bar a- Oh yeah, for sure. for sure. And it's really sh- it's a big shame that like he's like so patriotic and he still couldn't vote. You know, I I just think it's <laughs> such an injustice. I-, I think dogs could vote. Like I think you would have to somehow communicate who the candidates are in a way that dogs could understand. So it could be kind of like a smell based selection process. Yes. You know? Which politician smells more like hot dogs? <laughs> uh, that's true the politicians try to game the system of course but you know that's politics it's fine they can do it yeah i mean speaking of like your style and speaking of other possible dog or animal karaoke songs i, I listening to your music i was thinking about you know I'm, I'm a big cat stevens fan and i think his first song that made him famous was uh my dog you know he's saying like, i love my dog as much as I love you, blah, blah, blah. You know, cool. Really similar energy there. And and then like, to me, I kind of got this feeling like you had this idea, okay, I'm going to do this song kind of in this kind of style. You know, you have one that was kind of bluesy. One song about the uh, Netflix, no, the uh, Amazon guy, I thought kind of had like a, no, rocking, rocking with Trico had kind of like a bin folds sound to it i don't wow. know if you were doing you that deep. intentionally but first of all you went deep into the catalog that's amazing <laughs> thank you um rocking with trico absolutely was inspired by ben folds five so at different points in the uh development of the project i've i have unabashedly tried to emulate styles of other musicians so that was one that is spot on that was like early whatever yes. and ever ben folds five um I connected with Trico's mom and we both chatted about our mutual love of Ben Folds 5. Ben Folds is like my 
the reason I quit piano lessons to stop playing etude and E flat and learn how to play <laughs> one angry dwarf. That was like, that was me in, in high school when I discovered him. And so I'm a huge fan, but like, yeah, there's been a few others. Toby teeth is a great dog on Instagram. Toby's is in the style of the national. Um, cool. there's a dog from Atlanta. Here I gotta named check it out. Big Leroy Brown. I got to do, uh, I got to do one on the style of B 52s. Um, awesome. For a dog from here in Atlanta. Uh, So I got to do my best Fred Schneider. And then um, one that went, one that actually made it all the way back was there was a dog in the, in the early years named Pucky. And there's a song called when Pucky smiles and Pucky was from Portland. And so I said, well, I have to do a Portland band. So I did the Decembrists and, and then I, I ended up figuring out that there's, there's a, this was like prime Twitch era. There was a group that played D and D on Twitch for long stretches of time that happened to include Colin Malloy. And one time somebody in the chat during one of their records asked them if he had heard um, that song and they talked about it briefly. So hilarious. So wow, what an I, honor. <laughs> yeah, that was super cool. Like I don't do as many like that anymore because I haven't done as many collabs lately, but some of those have been my favorite to like crack the code. Like I did a, I did a song for, um, there's there's a creator named uh, Old Time Hockey Fritz and Donnie Brook. Uh, he lives in the Upper Peninsula of Michigan, and so I needed to do something that was Great Lakes e. And uh, now, granted, Gordon Lightfoot is Canadian, uh, but I decided to do a Gordon Lightfoot inspired thing because of the continuity with Wreck of the Edmund Fitzgerald on Lake Superior, which is the lake that's in question. Where in the world are y'all, by the way? Where where are you located? Ah, oh, dox us in front of. <laughs> Give our assassination coordinates, as uh, Elon Musk says. Yeah, so, <laughs> so yeah, so I talked over Hannah as usual, but yeah, so I'm in uh, oh. Asheville, North Carolina. Cool. And Hannah, where are you? Uh, I'm just outside Detroit. Cool. Nice. How about you? Mm-hmm. Yeah. You and at? where are you calling from? I'm in Atlanta. Ah, very cool. Just yeah. down the Atlanta, road. From- how's the weather? Is it super duper hot right now? It's not too bad. It's not too bad. Uh, it's it's not too hot yet. It's uh it's warming up. Though. Yeah, yeah. Similar here. It's a very nice time of year. I always want to go to Atlanta, but it sucks so much driving into Atlanta. It's like takes hours just to get in <laughs> through all the traffic. You know, it's tough. <laughs> so I've been there less often than I'd like. Yeah, I, I don't know if we have like the same taste in music or if I just have really basic music tastes that I like the things that you tend to think of making songs about. But that's really cool. Like Decemberist, The National, that's awesome. Like that that's one of my things I was curious about is what do you actually listen to yourself? What are some of your favorites? It depends time to time. Uh, right now, I can, I don't know. Right now I'm, I've been listening. Oddly enough, I just got around to listening to the new national album. So that's, that's Me exciting. Um, I'm back into Randy Newman briefly. Um, cool. I, I go back pretty regularly. Um, I've been listening. Uh, I, I, I'm listening to a ton of Taylor Swift right now. Uh, that's just what, what I'm doing. Uh, and it really mm-hmm. depends. Um, I, I, I've, I've gone back into. Um, now, are you this Matt guy that Taylor Swift is dating now? Is that you? Cannot confirm. He's uh, married, <laughs> Russell. He's married with two pups. Yeah, that's twenty twenty three. You could be married and date a uh, you know billionaire celebrity. It's you know that is true. It would be a lot of different lifestyles out there. 
Yeah. 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 But uh, <laughs> but no, not not so not the if current. If you time. are looking for sugar babies. <laughs> so uh, of course today we're talking about puppy songs. So we're also just generally talking about uh, animal and human communication. You know, how do we talk to our animals? How do animals try to talk to each other and talk to us? And uh, how do we try to make animals talk English <laughs> or whatever language, whatever human language? Also, perhaps. why do we try to make animals talk English? <laughs> Terrible idea. Yeah. <laughs> because honestly, I, I like, I, I have, I would love to know what my dog is thinking all the time. I think he's great. Um, I don't know about, say, cows. I don't know if I would really necessarily want to know what they're thinking all the time. It's true. Yeah, that's a that's a funny dividing line. Animals we do want to be friends with, and animals we don't. You know. Mm-hmm. <laughs> well, it's nothing against the cows. I would just feel super sad to know that they have a rich inner life and then get eaten. Matt, it, it sounds like most of your uh, communication with your dogs is musically based. Yeah, like uh, you sing a lot to your dogs. Uh, yeah, uh, singing, singing and talking. Um, they, you know, they've both been endowed with their speaking voices and singing voices that uh, <laughs> that I do and my wife does. And so, um, there's a good amount of there's a good amount of two way communication that may or may not be accurate to, to where their heads are at, <laughs> but uh, but it does happen nonetheless. Yeah, sometimes I try yeah. to explain to my cat that I'm like working on a computer just to, to, yeah, it's like, I don't know that they can't understand, you know, it's like, probably they can't, but what if, what if we're just assuming and like, actually they can get it, you know, cause it's like humans, we're, we, we weren't born to work on computers either. We had to be taught what it was, you know? True. <laughs> so I am a bit curious. So I know that, uh, Matt, you do have, a voice for your pets um i had a voice for frankie i had a voice for samira uh bernie's he's just a little baby so he doesn't have a voice yet but russ do you do you have voices for for tofu and yogurt so are you asking like if i imagine in my head things they're saying what does it sound like or you're saying like do i do a no like how do you how do you communicate what tofu and yogurt are communicating to you, but out loud? Mm, I never do it. I never you don't do, do it. it. <laughs> no, no. We, Hannah and I were talking about this. I, I think I have a pretty different relationship to my pets than most people. Like, I don't feel like their parents. Uh, I describe them as my roommates, you know? Mm. Uh, because they were adults when I got them. And now, like, if you think, if you believe in this, like, animal year to human year ratio scale, like, they're older than me now, you know, mm-hmm. so, like, mm-hmm. you know, they're they're grown women. And I, I tend to <laughs> just try to be as, like, to give them dignity and just generally try <laughs> to appreciate them for themselves, you know, and, like, uh, I don't know. I, uh, I can't imagine what they're saying or thinking generally, you know, I, I would make terrible songs. <laughs> like if I were to try to do what you do, my songs would be so boring, you know? 
Well, they, they would be they would be the songs that that live in that moment, though. I mean, like that's it's not as much that they're particularly dynamic or accomplish any novelty. It's just that they're honest <laughs> to the moment. You it's know? true. Yeah, maybe I'd make like instrumentals. You know, like this this techno song is a representation of, of my pet. Yeah, it's a silent <laughs> dance, a silent dance of you both coexisting in the room at that moment. <laughs> oh, that's really, really. That's a beautiful way to think of that. And I, so I tend to interesting. Yeah, tell me. Yeah, I, I tend to think a lot about like what of what I'm saying is processable, is understandable to my cat. And it's like I know that they know their names, you know, at least to some degree. <laughs> and so I actually do a lot of singing too, but I just sing their names generally, <laughs> you know. Oh. And, and so there, I have yogurt and tofu. Uh, but that I generally will shorten their name. So, uh, from yogurt is Joe or Jojo and from tofu toe or Toto, you know? Uh, so these are very singable cause they're, it's like saying do, do, do or something, you know, it's yeah. just like a single kind of, uh, you uh, said doo-doo. <laughs> vocalization, you know? <laughs> I think it's interesting, uh, like in, as, as Lenny and Marpup have gotten old, uh, this is not a commonly known fact, but Lenny is completely deaf, um, wow. has, has no, no ability. Uh, she picks up on Marley's cues and Marley's reactions. Um, but she also, you know, in terms of just broad communication beyond language, she can still very much pick up as many pets do on body language, tone um physicality all the other things that embody uh i don't know a sweet moment a frustrated moment an excited moment a confused moment and all the things in between but they're definitely still very sensitive to that um especially when you're having to communicate some of those tones or some of those things to to a dog who can't hear you uh who who otherwise doesn't even hear you coming well you know to to dive into some specific research uh, uh, of course dogs often especially nowadays are, are are trained with signs like hand signs as well as speaking and um actually the dogs get the signs a bit better mm-hmm. and uh one thing that they found is so in a in a training school they had this kind of funny situation where a woman her dog was sick but she didn't want to miss class so she came anyway and she like someone else gave the, her an extra dog <laughs> to train because she still wanted the lesson so she could go home and practice it with her dog, you know? And they found that the dog didn't really respond to her voice, her voice commands, maybe like 20% of the time or something. But 100% of the time, the dog would respond to the hand commands. And they did some extra tests on this and they found that, you know, we all sound different from each other and for us, we're keyed into these kind of like articulation of the mouth movements. Yep. Dogs are more keyed into like your tone. What frequency are you speaking at? How does it move? And so, you know, for for an animal, uh, oftentimes the word that one person says, the word that another person says, the dog assumes they're saying completely different words, you know? Mm-hmm. Ah, that makes a lot of sense. So Matt, like I, I, as a cat owner, I know that my cats know their names mm-hmm. and I'm pretty sure they know zero other words. I mean, my girlfriend <laughs> would, would beg to differ. She thinks they understand everything we say. And actually, and I, I tend to want to believe this, but maybe it's wishful thinking. Uh, we, it's my girlfriend 
claims that yogurt says my name. So so as everyone knows, my name is Russell and yogurt. I'll try to I'll try to imitate it. She'll go like, oh, you know, like this kind of meow that's like broken in the middle wow. to make two syllables. And it goes down at the end like an old wow. sound. <laughs> so probably not. But it's pretty compelling whenever you're the cat owner and someone tells you that your cat knows yeah. and tries to speak your name. You know? Is there a cue? Is yeah, there a cue in her environment that brings that up? Uh, essentially, just whenever she like comes, like, let's say I go to the a room. You know, so she'll run into the room and she'll jump on something and then she'll, you know, she'll say, Russell, you know, she's like trying huh? to trying to like get my attention, supposedly, you know, but how well, about you, Matt? Like, that's... do you get a sense of what words do you think your dogs know? Like, uh, do you teach them any commands? Do they sit or what kind of uh what kind of speaking do you do to your dogs where you feel like, okay, I'm having a communication here? Uh, I, they know outside. Uh, they know puppy walk, uh, puppy breakfast. Uh, <laughs> they know cheese. Uh, I, at least I think they do. But while I'm saying that, there's invariably other cues sure. associate like th that are very uh digestible in that moment like if we're getting the harness out and we say puppy walk you know that's what they know is happening usually there's some amount of food happening uh before they you know are certain that puppy breakfast is happening but yeah those are probably the big ones what's interesting with lenny is um as long as even like say marpup is sleeping or lenny i don't know mar's already outside i need to get lenny to go outside as long as i can go up to her don't startle her when when i wake her up and i like pat her butt and that as long as i'm not between her and the door she knows that means to go outside even that's though i genius. haven't really said anything so that's kind of like i don't know i think that's something she's learned that's not necessarily a word but is a yeah see this is a fascinating yeah this is a fascinating like category of communication to me too where it's like it evolves from so probably at some sense you, you get the sense that you're like you know shuffling her towards going outside yep. and she kind of understands this mechanical communication like I, I was telling hannah like my cats they play fetch uh which i feel like is pretty rare for a cat i've never had a cat do it before um and this kind of rose up organically like one time my cat was playing with something on the desk and i was in a meeting like this and so i just kind of threw it and then she brought it back and so i threw it again she brought it back mm -hmm. and actually this was during pandemic where we were together like 24 seven. So, um, but anyway, so they understand at this point that this motion means I, I just threw a ball just like a dog would, you know, so the throwing motion. Wow. And so I've turned this into like a pointing motion for the cats. Cause you know, cats don't understand when you point, whereas dogs they do supposedly do. Finger <laughs> yeah, all all animals universal language finger guns. Yeah, everyone feels <laughs> everyone feels twenty percent cooler when someone does finger guns to them. So <laughs> even on a bacterial level, yeah. But so yeah, these kind of signs where or language where it's like you've evolved it out of some natural sort of uh, mechanical interaction. You know, it's yeah. so interesting. It's like you're seeing what probably early language development was like for, you know, prehistoric humans or, or whatever, you know? Yeah. 
But Hannah, what about a, you? So, do you feel like your dogs know any words? Your dog? So, um, Bernie, he knows. I don't think he knows his name yet. Or, and I will sing it to him all the time. I will say, Your name is Bernie, and you're so cute, and Bernie's a good boy. And I'll sing him. Uh, but really, when it comes to recall, I can't get him inside to save his or my life. Uh, so <laughs> I'm not 100% that he knows his name. I know he knows mama. I know he knows, hey, little guy, because that is the only thing that uh, will make him come inside if he's having a good time. Um, I do. I did a little bit of research. Dogs uh, are pretty darn smart. They uh, are capable of understanding up to about 165 to 250 words. Wow. Yeah. So they're pretty, they're pretty good at communicating. They under, and this would include um, verbal words as well as signals and uh, body uh, language cues. Um, they're pretty good at understanding cats. Uh, on average, and Ross and I were kind of talking about how yogurt and um, how these might be uh, anomalous. Uh, cats, on average, uh, know between 25 and 60 words. Mm. Not a whole lot right. of words, not a whole lot of reason to kind of speak our language, I don't think. <laughs> yeah, and you would expect, like, in order to test this, the only the only way you could, you could really do it as a scientist is you would have to try to teach the animal some words. So you would set up these, mm -hmm. like, uh, conditioning experiments where you're, you know, giving them a choice to differentiate something you've said, and then you, um, you know, see if they can do it, see if you get the correct result. And so I, I think even this in general, is kind of an artificial thing, right? Because, like, how many of us, you know, spend any time in the week, like, experimenting on our pets, you know, where we're like, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, essentially, we got them into, like, chamber, and we're, like, you know, drilling them on things, you know? So, like, yeah, I, it's always something I'm curious about, you know, like, I, you know, the thing about cats, they're, they're hearing for them is their number one sense. You know, this is like their eyes for cats. And of course, they have these emotional ears. And so like I can see right now that that yogurt is looking at me with her ears. You know, it's like they're generally they're they're listening, very focused on whatever whatever is being communicated, you know. Russell, and but have you ever put googly eyes on your cat's ears? <laughs> <laughs> that's a wonderful idea this is my business you've got puppy songs i've got, cat, <laughs> I've got creepy cat ear eyes this that's is it great. just in time for the holidays it's like it's like it's one step above those like that jewelry that you hang on your cat's tail to cover up its butthole have you seen that no oh my god Someone, yeah, someone invented this thing. It's like you you hang it on the base of your cat's tail, and it just kind of hangs over their butt, so it's wow. not exposed. You know, they I don't think it really works. Yeah, right. <laughs> but yeah, I think it could be like a kind of an earring that would hang down over the cat's ear, just a little mm. little eye there. You know, just to let you know that she's looking at you with her ears. 
Mm-hmm. Yeah, and you could get like instead of googly eyes, it could be like the eyes of different celebrities, you know, just in case you're lonely. <laughs> you know? mm, that is a terrifying idea. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, so you might uh, notice that the way that we talk to pets is a little bit different than the way that we talk to adults. And, and we've alluded a little bit to this uh, so far. Um, uh, for instance, um, the pet-directed speech usually has a slower tempo and a much higher and more variable kind of pitch. Okay. Yeah, yeah that's true. Uh, so those are some characteristics of pet uh, directed speech. A lot of people have made uh, uh, um, some some meat off of the fact that it is similar to infant directed speech. Okay. So the way that we talk to babies and the way that we talk to animals, our animals specifically, um, are kind of similar. And there's two leading hypotheses about this and i would love to hear your thoughts on this hypothesis number one all right is uh, i feel like i'm just gonna call my shot right now i feel like we can come up with a hypothesis number three that blows these first two out of the water okay okay so let's let's uh hear them first uh the first hypothesis hypothesis is the baby schema hypothesis. So um, the baby schema hypothesis is that babies have a morphological characteristics that um, just instinctively we we baby talk to anything that has a large head, small nose, small mouth. Mm. Like anything with that sort of characteristics, we instinctively right. use baby talk. Kind of the, um, the science of cuteness, right? Like what makes us think of some things as cute and other things as not, right? Big eyes, round face, yeah. et cetera. Yeah. Hypothesis number two is the learning hypothesis. Um, so uh, the slower tempo, the higher and more variable pitch of, uh, of pet-directed speech uh, it also indicates a clearer articulation of vowels and mm. usually uh, some clear articulation of consonants and phonemes uh, to make it uh, easier to understand. That's a bit why uh, sometimes uh, if you'll hear like the ugly American tourist who talks to somebody who doesn't speak English as a first language, they tend to talk a little bit more yeah. condescending. Uh Higher pitch, slower tempo. So uh, the second hypothesis to uh, to pet directed speech is the learning hypothesis. The dog is not familiar with English, so instinctively we try to present English in a way that they would understand. So Matt, do you baby talk to your dogs? Do you feel like you're talking to them as children? Uh, I, I talk to them in their voices. So, so I don't you talk know. To I, them as dogs, sure. I, when I talk to Lenny, I I do a Lenny voice. It's like, hey, Lenny, you want to go on a walk, Lenny? And when I talk to Marpa, <laughs> like Marpa, I'm looking for another blanket. Also, just like narrating what they do. So they, I I may be you, I may not be in the <laughs> in the. In do the, you do you also <laughs> talk to your wife in your wife's voice? Because then it would be really weird. 
but also consistent. <laughs> well, that's a really interesting point. Uh, I don't, I don't. But when I was a little kid, I was a, I learned it before I learned how rude it was, which unfortunately was, I was a teenager. Uh, I, I would, I would imitate people. I, I would imitate everyone, including my teachers to their faces. And it didn't always go very well. Uh, oh, no. Some of them, some of them appreciated it. Some of them did not. But in general, I, I, I'm a, whatever the, whatever the mirroring, uh, code switching thing like because i grew up in sure. south louisiana and so like i don't mm -hmm. i don't walk around um sounding like that other than a very yeah, few words yeah. that i've retained but when i'm talking to my family members or when i'm there uh it comes crashing back yeah same uh, here yeah I, i'm actually from north louisiana so where are you from we're probably both hiding the same accent uh, i'm from monroe <laughs> in kind of northeast nice part, you know? very cool <laughs> uh, but yeah it's very true i mean like when I speak to my family, I sound more Southern. To myself, I still don't notice a huge difference, but I can kind of feel it. Uh, and, and then there's there's things where it's like you just you you feel as if you your mirror neurons have have worked to you know adapt the accent or whatever. And then there's some things you just learn years later. Like um, it's like we all know that you shouldn't say "get" with an "e" sound because the word is "get." But uh -huh. I only learned very recently that like a letter like N or M also is not an I sound, you know, or the name Jennifer. I, I never knew that <laughs> the Jen part in Jennifer, I never knew that that should be an E sound and not an I. Sound, yeah, I can't, you know? I can't do, uh, I can't say the word on, like if a light's not off. It's on. I say on. Like I, I still have, and that's that's a New or the New Orleans accent is very similar to a lot of Long Island and absolutely York, yeah. where there's more or there's there's a lot more of that in it. But um, one of the things I thought about when you mentioned the the teaching thing, as someone who spends a lot of time editing audio uh, and equalizing audio and <laughs> people's voices, um, the sharp quality that our ears and most of our listening devices are tuned to are frequencies between you know 1000 and three or four thousand hertz mm -hmm. uh and what that that's where the sharpness and the brightness of stuff is uh in, in any piece of audio but like what that doesn't do what that doesn't include is like you know 700 to 300 which is where muddiness is and where a lack of clarity is and where a lot of lower, lower stuff can be muffled just by virtue of you know thicker waves that aren't necessarily low frequency base um so that's something that i'd never thought about that that actually is more efficient and more clear because like i've heard when you use the higher pitch stuff or you use your upper octave because we all have our our two octaves that we can speak in um and I've also I've often heard the lore that like uh, Abraham Lincoln, tend the great orator before microphones, that he was more likely mm -hmm. to have a bright fighting sound to his like he would have sounded a little bit more like a cartoon character. I've heard that, that too, yeah. Because that can carry far. Yeah, I've heard it likened to a whistling teapot. Yeah, yeah. There's a. It's not Fire. really related, but similar. So they there's a lot of studies on like how do animals who are city animals how does this change them you know and a lot in a lot of weird different ways like uh raccoons they found they're they're kind of they it's kind of made them smarter than wild ones etc but with birds 
Whereas in uh, nature, a lower uh, sounding bird, this will generally be a more successful mating call because it, it tends to signify it's a bigger bird. And so bigger, stronger bird, better offspring, whatever. Uh, in a city environment, the the higher pitched ones are better because they kind of keen and cut through the city sounds. And so the, their sound can be heard further and they tend to be more successful, you know. That's very interesting. So birds have like accents and dialects? Yeah, I would say so. Yeah, for sure. That's really um, cool. It, it, coming back to this kind of like child-directed language versus pet language thing, uh, there there are a few interesting differences uh, and similarities as well. So in, in both cases, we tend to reduce the number of words we're, ma- we're saying in an utterance. So talking to another adult, we tend to say about 11 words per sentence. Uh, talking to a dog, we tend to say about four. Um, in talking to a dog also we tend to have more kind of like commands but we also ask twice as many questions to dogs as we do even <laughs> to humans for some reason you know even though the dogs can't really respond does that include repeating questions i, I think so i'm sure okay. it does yeah <laughs> well, i mean it's like well you say that again just in case you didn't hear it the first time right you want to um, go outside 90% of pet talk is in the present tense, which is interesting because like it's to me, it seems like we're almost trying to imagine, trying to assume things about what the dog can understand and trying to, you know, put everything into what we imagine the dog's understanding of time to be, um, which is, I think maybe this part is a little bit uh, insulting because, you know, animals have memory too. <laughs> Uh, oftentimes we can document that it, it goes back for years, even a, a decade or something like that. Hmm. Um, but the main point here is that in child-directed language, the the point of it is kind of to teach. You know, you're you're sort mm-hmm. of trying to uh, get the child to start to understand. Uh, in terms of the uh, directing it to a pet, though we don't tend to make these same kind of communications where uh, we're asking about objects in the environment or pointing to them and talking to the pet about them. Um, It seems like instead of instructive language, we're typically doing things just for our own social function. You know, it's like we're, (laughs) we're having this kind of play conversation to fulfill our need for socializing instead, you know? Um, so in we that way, really it's, explain why puppy songs took off during COVID. That's so true. I never thought about that. Yeah, fascinating. I mean, do you feel that for you too, Matt? You feel like during COVID, puppy songs filled like a a kind of a need or a space in your life? Oh, for sure. On on so many levels. I mean, that the the reality was we were we were home all the time with the dogs. So they, they, they quickly ascended to the, uh, the, you know, the, the list of people that I spend the most time with or the list of, of entities <laughs> that I spend the most time with, uh, for sure. And I think, I don't know, I think there's also a bit of a, um, like hearing you describe that in, in, in such words was really interesting that like, that we do these play conversations with our pets or our dogs, like even just narrating what's happening or just to fulfill some, you know, social connection just to to finish yeah. building that moment even if we have to play both parts 
But I also think there's something, I think what's interesting that I've learned with puppy songs is that A, that everybody does that. And that sounds kind mm-hmm. of fun. It's like, ah, you found something everybody does. But there's actually a <laughs> vulnerability to it <laughs> because those yeah. moments are often not public moments. It's true. Like if somebody has a crowd of people over at their house, like uh, uh, I, I'd venture to say that a given pet owner may not do a whole Abbott and Costello routine playing both parts <laughs> for their dog for three straight minutes during a good belly rub sesh while mama and the neighbors are over, you know? So it's a pretty, it's a pretty <laughs> private thing. And That's so fascinating. Think, yeah, I you're absolutely what, right. When people saw it out in the open, it wasn't just, huh, yeah, I know about that. But it's like, oh wow! I, I think I think a lot of people. I don't know. I think that uh, the community who came together around those pieces of content began to acknowledge that with each other, and I think that helped <laughs> it grow. And it helped even more that that was during a time when there wasn't as much community, and it wasn't like all being in the same events or being in the same spaces for a while. It was just, well, what do we do when we're on our own, and how do we connect on that? Still, that's like a hypothesis. Again, I, I haven't been able to confirm that. But, um, I absolutely love that. And Matt, I do have to tell you, um, a couple weeks ago, before we reached out to you, um, I did realize that you are actually my favorite musical artist at the moment. No uh, way. And a big part of that, it, it, yeah, it's true. It's true. Thank you. A big part of that is that there's a lot of music artists that uh, do songs about romance and sex and stuff that like I just really don't relate to. But I absolutely relate to wondering what my dog is thinking. Like it's, it's. Uh, I think that the best music is the kind of music that makes you kind of understand your own humanity and your own kind of like connection to other people. And this is uh, like puppy songs is is so much more universal to to me than hey i went to the club and there was a really hot person there like i totally when is mom coming home like, <laughs> i have seen that thought in my dog's eyes i have seen that it it's just so much more relatable well I... and it's beautiful like i read a tweet earlier this week that said that um Art is the way that we decorate space and music is the way that we decorate time, which uh, actually really spoke to me. And I just I just really love it when you decorate my time. I really do appreciate that. Wow. Well, it's uh, I, I appreciate you're saying that. Thanks. Like <laughs> it, it, it means a lot like I've I've um, I've shared that sentiment like uh, the same before where it's like when people say say they enjoy the music like. Um, a, we have so many things that can compete for our time right now, like so many things, so much content. And, and so to, to have anybody's attention or to, to have their time and to, to decorate their time is an honor and a, and a privilege for me. But then the other thing, too, is like when I hear that people sing the songs with their pets or that the songs enter the household or um, just get be a part of their routine or daily life every time the cheese comes out or something like that. I also recognize that that's, that's a pretty, that's like not, not many things get access to that. You know, not, not much content gets to be a part of people's home soundtrack. So I, I really appreciate you sharing that. And I'm really glad you're enjoying the songs. I, I enjoy making yeah. them. So. Oh, I so appreciate that you are making them. Like it's, <laughs> it's something that I feel like, especially during a, a global pandemic and the news is always like, bad news and it's just it's a smile it's a guaranteed smile every single time thanks
space. Yeah, it's, and I uh, mean, means a lot. You know, f- for me, like animals, at least if you compare to humans who can express uh, a full range of things in language, you know, they're, they're relatively uh, silent, or at least relatively uh, a bit more challenging to be expressive in the same sense. And I, I think a strategy of ours is like creating these narratives or creating these stories about our pets, you know, uh, having some whimsical, you know, moments about what, what maybe their personality is, why they're doing something, what they might say if they're speaking. And, uh, you know, I, I think it's a very important part of having a pet because it helps us to build that relationship in that same way. You know, it's like, I think a big part of why we talk to our pets and we, you know, try to imagine what they would say back. It's like they're they're friends for us. And so we want to relate to them in the same way we, we relate to our human friends, you know, because that's important for us yeah. in order to feel bonded with someone, you know. And, and it's like, it sounds a little silly, but I, I think like having these kinds of memes and uh, tropes and ideas in songs and so on about, you know, things that dogs like, things that dogs do that are funny, stuff like this. It really helps to like build this culture, you know, the the human to dog animal relationship, mm-hmm. you know, and, and I think in a weird way, it's kind of enriches everyone's uh, pet experience, you know? Yeah. I mean, <laughs> dogs, dogs teach us a lot about communication because the thing that the thing that we don't get um, as much training on if any, is listening and what that actually means. Um, And I've read some stuff all about that, you know, just like body language. We're programmed to keep thinking about what we're going to say next. Um, And, and, you know, people listen with their mouths open, which is a total, like there's all kinds of things, especially now that there's devices, (laughs) like device on table face up while someone talks, like we're picking up on all these cues. (laughs) But like dogs, uh, especially with dogs, what's really remarkable is you think we'd be conditioned that after you do a whole scene with a dog where you're playing both parts uh, and the dog doesn't really make any offers. I do a lot of improv stuff and I do music for improv (laughs) so like when the dog doesn't make any specific offers or doesn't make a choice but the one thing the dog does and i think that's why we keep going back or the pet does is it is it is supportive and it listens and if you endow it with the craziest voice or temperament or reaction in the moment um it it for most parts goes okay and keeps going with you and look we don't get that acknowledgement from human beings on this here earth a whole mm-hmm. lot. And and I, I always say like Marpup, especially Marpup, because she listens to me more, which is wild that I'm just I'm aware of that now. But like, you know, she shows <laughs> she shows us she's like a lot of times dogs show us how to love. Dogs show us how to listen is another big thing because they they actually listen. And um even when you're being absurd. And that is a remarkable part of communication that I think doesn't get enough. Uh, doesn't have enough prime examples out there but most of the time a dog or a hamster or a goldfish or a turtle could could be could be the example we've been looking for um while you put on your abbott and costello one person show not a cat though well cat too cats are too serious (laughs) yeah uh coming back to the child directed language topic you know i was joking about making a third better hypothesis but to be honest i think i do have one (gasps) Uh, there, there's two features oh, of uh, 
two important features of child-directed language. Uh, so one is that when you're talking to a, a baby or even a toddler, you tend to um, be attention-directed. So it's like essentially whatever the baby has the attention on, you make the conversation about this uh, because you cannot ask the baby to to say, hey, look at this, hey, look at that, whatever. Uh, and and the, other, the other feature that I was thinking about is that we tend to treat whatever behavior the baby is doing as a response, you know? So babies make a lot of kind of random facial expressions, random body movements, smiles, giggles, just sounds in their throat, whatever. And it's it's a tendency of a, a mother, a parent, whatever, to behave as if they're in a conversation with the baby, to behave as if those things are intentional, and, and these are both instinctive behaviors because these tend to build language in a child, you know? Um, so this is kind of like the first step to getting to a place where the child actually is, you know, it's like building that bridge to actual communication. So it's like we have this very, very um, instinctive, very important part of human behavior where we make conversation, make language happen. And so we're with a pet and we have a similar situation where they can't exactly communicate to us in language. And so we fall back on these same uh, strategies for how do we communicate with something when there's like a communication breakdown, you know? Yeah. But I I was thinking about like, on the other hand, you know, I've always felt like for cats, because cats, unlike dogs, they're not really exactly pack animals i mean obviously some species of cats they have some kind of a pride or something but uh house cats especially in the wild they're not like uh you know living together and socializing i mean like cats in the wild don't tend to meow they don't tend to speak to each other uh i mean in a few different ways right if they're like if it's a mating situation or if they're fighting or something they make some kind of vocalization but in general, they don't really talk. And so, like, I, I think that cats, they have this experience of having had a child-parent relationship, you know? Mm-hmm. So whenever they become friends with a human, they need some kind of a relationship to model that on. And in a similar way, they they kind of use this child-parent thing as, like, their one example of a relationship you know in order to say okay this is not my enemy this is not my prey this is not a rival this is something else so it's similar to this kind of bond that a a family a parent child would have you know and i think that makes it like super charming that they do meow at you because uh it's sort of like the cat is using directed language at you (laughs) <laughs> the cat is baby talking you. And I think I that that is adorable. I mean, I think that it, it may be other people experience this, but to me, I, I notice both situations. You know, it's like obviously cats, they seem to, you know, receive pets or sit in your lap in ways that a baby might. But there, there's also a lot of ways where I feel as if I'm playing the child role, you know, and they're playing the parent role instead. Like I, I had this cat. <laughs> She was really never very affectionate at all, but then she uh, 
she had children. She had kittens herself. And after that, after her children grew up and left and everything, she would kind of just grab your hand and try to groom you. She would like lick your hand, you know? And um, the other behavior I point to is like a, yeah, exactly. The other behavior I point to is like a mother to child is like cats will tend to do this thing where they carry something in their mouth, whether it's like a dead animal or a toy or whatever. And they'll just like yell, you know, my, for some reason, my cats do it after I go to bed at night. I don't know why it's like (laughs) immediately after they'll wait about five minutes and then they'll just walk around the house like carrying a toy and just yelling as loud as they can. You know? <laughs> and a lot of people think of this as like a hunting behavior, right? So they're like showing off the thing that they hunted for and maybe trying to give it to you or share it with you. But I would suggest this is more like a mother holding a kitten, trying to, you know, gather her kittens together behavior. Cause this is really similar where they, they hold the cat, the kitten in their mouth and then they walk it back to wherever the the kind of place their nest or, or whatever is, you know. Kind of rude for her to start the uh, start the club meeting after you go to bed. Yeah, I'm not sure what what's the deal with that. I I don't know if maybe they feel like they lost me and they're trying to find say, me. Are they trying to gather oh. you too, or are they are they glad that they don't have to, to gather me? <laughs> maybe so. Yeah, maybe they're <laughs> finally free or something. But no, I get the sense like they're trying to gather. <laughs> all gather together in one spot because they tend to then come to come to bed, you know. Oh, gotcha. But, so they're trying to get the party started and gather everybody into the communal sleeping chambers. Yeah, I mean, I guess my whole point here is like, I don't know. I, you, you see a lot of people think of their pets as their kids or whatever, but like, why not their parents? Like, why aren't the pets ever thought of as like oh that's my mom the cat or something you know that's interesting well you don't generally have to feed your mom and clean the poop out of her fur like that's not generally a relationship that you have with your mother it is generally a relationship that you could have with a child potentially that's a fair point maybe we should be thinking about like what ways can we start to you know, appreciate our pets as parents that we're not like, should we, should we like bring them breakfast in bed one day a year? You know, uh, that's the yeah. only thing that's coming to mind. <laughs> nice. Pet dad day. Pet dad day. Yeah. What um, do you do on pet dad day? You just let them sit in their like den and smoke cigars or something. Well, I mean, they bring you breakfast. You just have to not throw it away in disgust this time. Uh, did you know that up to 80% of pet owners call themselves a pet parent? Oh, wow. Yeah, this is like something that I both thought was just about universal, but also something that my family, when I was a kid, didn't do. Like, there was no, and we had dogs, we had cats, we had fish, we had birds, but there was no like calling them children, treating them as babies, saying you're their mom whatever i mean what about you matt because you're you're also from the south so maybe it's a cultural thing but i i have a feeling it's not did you have pets growing up we had a fish uh and we had chickens for a little (laughs) while but like we we never i I didn't grow up with dogs or cats so really uh, 
Yeah, I don't know. I don't I don't really know. I'm 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 still relatively new to this. Uh but I also recognize I think there's like generational influence in in everything and it's mm-hmm. unavoidable. Um and so I think that could be one of the things that I think is probably over indexed as the uh as the millennial generation uh does all the other things that the millennial generation is doing. Cause I also don't know of many I don't know of many people I'm trying to think. All the people I know of who are like pet parents tend to be millennial, Gen X, less Gen X, and then very few boomers that I know walking around um, uh, endowing themselves as pet parents. So I think that could be another force at play mm-hmm. combined with the, um, you know, delayed or not having families and just the, the, the bandwidth that's available that those pet relationships can grow to fill. Yeah, yeah, that's that true. Of- and then you wonder, mm-hmm. like, will Zoomers, will they have something else? <laughs> yeah, it's like, <laughs> are their pets their slime? <laughs> you know. <laughs> so we was your wife about- always like a real dog person? Yeah, she grew up with, she grew up with dogs and pets, and then uh, yeah, she had Lenny and Mar before, long before I met her. So yeah, it's so cool. It's like probably part of the secret sauce, right? It's like you were kind of having this fresh new experience of you know living with dogs being friends with dogs cohabitating and yeah so like you had all these ideas from this yeah yep very nice for sure there's honestly tons of other things we could talk about but uh we're getting a little long already so why don't we kind of transition over into the other thing we do i I know we do something else (laughs) hannah do you remember no, that's uh, not yes, it. Russell, we're about to start our Eurovision segment, wherein we talk about Oh, right, about it's Eurovision. Eurovision. Yeah, Eurovision. Oh, okay, okay, got it. <laughs> and Eurovision is still fresh in our minds. It was a fantastic show. We enjoyed it. It was good fun. And today, we are talking about uh, Lithuania. It, Lithuania's 2023 um, offering, Stay, by Monica Linkaiti. I think it's Linkite. That it. sounds okay to me. Sure. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I, I yeah. Probably Linkite. I, I would imagine something like this. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, and uh, uh, so, of course, what is the name of the song by Monica? Day. And why did we yeah. choose this one, Russell? That's a thing you say to dogs sometimes. I think. Uh. <laughs> <laughs> uh, Matt, so, have you ever watched Eurovision? Only, only in pieces. Uh, only yeah, in too. a clip, in a clip form. It's not something I'm. Uh, I, I always enjoy it, but me this too. was this was the yeah. first clip I've seen of this most recent year. So yeah, which which actually now that I think about it, it's like it seems like something you would enjoy. I mean, it's well, we were talking. Sorry, I'm interrupting myself for some reason, but like it's a funny thing how oftentimes especially Americans, we appreciate Eurovision for like the zaniness and the funny songs and the kind of like uh, weird pop stuff that happens. But I, I don't know. There's there's a lot of like really serious, earnest performances as well. But I, I don't care so much about those, you know. <laughs> I mean, I think I think I associate what I've seen of it over the years is just awesome, epic no holds barred produced pop songs. I mean, I grew up, 
I grew up on Max Martin. We all did. Or if if you listened to pop music, we all grew up on on European Swedish pop. Absolutely. Uh, where where the lyrics aren't a deep ponder. Tell me why ain't nothing but a heartache. Like I mean, like I don't know. There there's there's some there's some rich ones in there, but there's also just brilliant use of dynamics and song structure and cool stuff. And yes. I'm I'm a sucker for that. I love I love songs that are put together like this. It's a lot of fun. And I think I like agree. the appealing part of European pop music uh, and what makes it so like simple is a lot of them tend to uh, use the English language, which uh, most of these artists, of course, speak as a second yeah. language. So by necessity, the lyrics are a lot simpler. It's a lot more uh, repetitive, got a better hook. Uh, just by the virtue of, of uh, you're going to simplify until it's, it's something that you can work with. So uh, stay is an English song. However, um, there is a refrain I'm sure that you guys both noticed. Uh, Chuto tuto. Uh, do you uh, so first of all, let me ask you how you guys felt about the song. I think we talked about it once before for some reason. And this is a song yeah, like it really felt almost like what you would uh hear and experience going into like an American one of these like uh kind of contemporary hip churches, you know, and they've got like the like three to five people singing in the front, they've got the full rock band style band with the guitar and the drums and everything and they're they're singing something that just seems kind of vaguely impassioned you know so matt what what did you think about this song i liked it uh, I, i'm at a point in my life where i, I like we were talking about earlier i like simple things and i think <laughs> it's uh deceptively difficult to create simple things uh but i think this is just i don't know this was when you said we're going to check out a eurovision song and i haven't seen one in quite a while i was like i let this this scratch the itch because i was like oh that stuff's cool um Definitely I mean, true. It, the song opens the song has two hooks sometimes they have three hooks and they just go back and forth between all of them this one opens mm -hmm. on the uh on the the one in, in um in the, in the native tongue which i went and researched which was super cool the connection to folk music yeah um I mean, I think I think it's just it's it's a well put together, cool song. Um, I, I enjoyed it. I don't know, it's fun, it's dynamic, it's interesting. It, it touches on um, kind of modern worship music because I think there's some there's definitely been a lot of cross pollination with epic sounding pop in the last twenty years. Whether that comes from Coldplay with like stadium songs or stuff like that to stuff like this, those big elevated choruses usually going up an octave, um, having different voices. There's always the part that one voice sings. There's always a part that a group sings, and, and and you can use you can take a few elements and make it sound like a lot of elements um, in an arrangement that usually is no longer than a couple minutes, which is like totally a roller coaster of a ride dynamically. Um, it's not like listening to Jackson Brown fit you know 100 and, you know 1300 words in a 5 minute song but um it's yeah, it's, yeah. When, <laughs> when you talk about like scratching the itch yeah i think this is another like key uh ingredient of eurovision is these like just wildly like dramatic emotional pop songs where it's like they're really it's like they're trying to like get you to feel something like so hard you know 
uh, in just mm-hmm. a pop song. Like, I, I feel like it's like there's two big categories. I think there's the like intentionally really goofy songs, and then there's there's like these songs where they're just unabashedly doing like a Celine Dion thing, where they're just trying to like make you cry. <laughs> Completely overwrought. You know? Yeah. <laughs> who, was, who did a? It was, I think it was Norway last year. Um, uh, but yeah, no, there's a big history of overwrought. I thought that this one was clean, and, and even though it's got a very like poignant uh, meaning behind it, it's a, it's a song about healing from emotional scars. I think that it was done in a way that's more joyful than like overwrought. I really enjoyed this song. I. Yeah, I never really look too deeply into the lyrics. I try to just let whatever I hear and retain be my experience of a song, whether it's your vision or whatever. And and for me, like my feeling I got is like she seemed like maybe she's has some self esteem issues and maybe she shouldn't be in a relationship right now. <laughs> huh. and that's my that, read. Coming to, I think that she's coming to that conclusion as well. I think that's a great, healthy. A lot of these songs lately have like put such an emphasis on mental health. I really do appreciate that. Mm-hmm. But I and, felt- uh, Matt, you did a, a little bit of research on the phrase "chuto tuto," right? Oh, only, only as far as that it comes up in. I couldn't get a direct translation or the the any kind of other than mm-hmm. the, that it's referenced in its folk and it's tied to right. Uh, folk well, music. there's no real direct translation. It's it's basically a collection of syllables. It's like our uh, version of la dida. Oh, okay. Like it's mm-hmm. a bit of nonsense syllables that uh, uh, round out a musical uh, music. Cool. Um, I think there's a lot in a lot of different languages. Yeah. Oh yeah. oh yeah, yeah. That's definitely a future episode topic. Yeah, there's sure. a lot of that in um, in in New Orleans music, especially with all of the the native Native American and uh, Afro Caribbean and just all the different languages that have flown in. There's a lot of different influences like that. So that's cool. That's interesting. What what stood out is with this song is I guess you know there's a there's an individual processing some things but like i don't know I, I i try to take songwriting i take a few different approaches to songwriting but i'm always curious as to how to push and pull a work to see how it fits but you can also try to ask it's like well who's you know there's always like who's talking who are they talking to and why um mm-hmm. and in this case you can do a few different versions of who this person's talking to because um it could be a friend or it could be <laughs> a dog kind of could it kind of could because this is very much about the person the singer themselves working through something on their own um reflecting on times of weakness or insecurity in the past um and i think when you talk about a consistent supportive presence that actually isn't saying a lot back this is almost written um it's a Taylor Swift, like the most intimate power of songwriting. The most intimate thing you can do is write a you song. And Taylor Swift writes that, right? So many of those second person songs are very direct. They're very intimate. But what this does really well is it, it, it has some imperative. It has some you imperative in there, but it also has a lot of past tense. And and I don't know, it, it, it could be a letter in a way 
Um, it could be messaging somebody or a thought or a, a, I don't know. It's, it, it's, it's an interesting thing because I feel like the person, it's probably not due for that level of like lyrical analysis, to be honest. It's supposed to, it's supposed to just make you feel something because music, the music can make you feel something like it's the same way you can listen to this song in another language and maybe feel some of the same emotional tugs. Absolutely. Um, but I did think about, you know, who this song could be directed to. And it's like, yeah, it could be a talk. <laughs> There's no reason guess, it couldn't be. Yeah. <laughs> totally. Uh, I would love to know more about like Lithuanian uh, rela- pet relationships. And, and, but you brought up some interesting uh, ideas about like syntax. And, mm-hmm. um, you know, it, it would completely depend on Russell and I go back and forth on this all the time on, on, uh, whether you can say things that your language doesn't necessarily accommodate for, or if your uh, psychology is molded by the language that you grow up with or, you know, stuff like that. Um, So Lithuanian, uh, you might be interested to know, is one of the oldest languages on the European continent. The Lithuanian that is spoken today uh, is, uh, I think this and is it Albanian that are like the oldest uh, languages on the continent. Um, it comes directly from like Indo-European. It's very, very close to the original spoken Sanskrit. Cool. So to that end, um, I did type in a uh, the longest Lithuanian word on record uh, into the Zoom chat. And I think that it would be kind of fun if we all tried to take turns uh, pronouncing it for uh, <laughs> cool. context the meaning of this word is to go out and pick grass to feed the rabbits uh, cool. i think i'll start try to uh, uh set the bar as low as i can um that sounds right to me that sure. was. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It cool. has 37 letters. Wow. All right. You want to try next, Matt, or you want me to? Okay. Let's see. It's probably going to. <laughs> I don't know that I can hit that mark. Uh, <laughs> well, he's getting out his guitar. He's going to sing it. All right. Dude. Okay. Oh, I'm just messing with you. Yeah. Nebepris. Shoot. Nebepriskiako. Man, this I'm not I'm not tracking it. I'm tapping out. I'm tapping out. <laughs> okay, tapping tag out. me in, bro. Tag me in. Tag. Right, tag. Uh, let me see. Okay. So I, I think I, I think I got this. I, I feel uh more confident than I have any right to. So let's see. I've got uh Nebepriskio Capostella Pontiasiums. <laughs> that was smooth. That one was very good. Yeah. Smooth. So that Matt, I I really think you should have a podcast where you just like interpret songs uh about how they're actually about dogs. I I think you you really <laughs> you really had it was very compelling to listen to. Like, how is this song mm-hmm. stay actually uh being sung to a dog? And uh, yeah, I think you got. <laughs> I think it's a it's a read that uh, is missing from music theory. Uh, I'll have to as add that to the list. I, I was inspired <laughs> by your by by the fact that you said that the stay 
that inspired by what you say to a dog. I mean, <laughs> I don't know. I, I promise I don't walk around analyzing everything I see, whether it could be from the perspective of a dog. That's, <laughs> that's not my, <laughs> it's not like my one trick that I do. It's, uh, that's, that'd be interesting. I mean, you do see more dog songs. I see more out there these days, but, uh, but thanks. I'm glad I, I do like songs. I do like the, when they're put together well. And, um, one of the things I love about this, and it's like, it, you hate to see this passed up and they didn't is the amazing vocalization, melody, inner melody on the mm. word stay, right? Like mm. it's great. Like you, you th that's why there's music. It's why it's not one, you know, one syllable for every note. I don't know. This is, it was a cool song. It's definitely, a cool I think song. it's very good. I think generally our, uh, the caliber of Eurovision has risen a bit. Like I, I think this year they had some really great stuff. You know, I, I think it's becoming a little more world famous. And after, uh, Maniskin's, uh, success a couple of years ago, I, I think like, a lot of the countries, a lot of the cultures are taking it more seriously and really like bringing their A game, you know. Which the, to this day, Monaskin's Eurovision performance was my absolute favorite musical performance I've ever seen. It was wow. amazing. I need to go watch that. I haven't seen that. <laughs> Uh, anyways, thanks for listening. Uh, thanks so much for coming, man. It's incredible. Who would have thought? It was thought? so great to meet you. I'm so excited to meet you. Thanks. Thanks for having that me. It was really fun hanging out and talking with y'all. I love this stuff. Uh, so give us some like uh, socials where people can find you, that kind of thing. Great. Uh, puppy songs is at puppy songs at puppy songs everywhere. Um, Instagram, TikTok, uh, Spotify, Apple Music. You can find a lot of our more popular tunes. YouTube is under my name, Matt Hobbs, M A T T H O B B S. Um, also, I release music under my name. I have a new song called How Amazing uh, that I'm releasing three different ways. Uh, the final version drops tomorrow. It's a pop song, it's a, you know, that kind of style, uplifting, actually kind of self-help yeah. uh, vibe thing. Oh, uh, so uh, that that's how amazing it's under my name, Matt Hobbs. And uh, I'm just grateful to have anybody's attention and uh, <laughs> grateful for that. everybody who supports and listens to my music. So, All right. Thank you, Matt Hobbs. I've been Russell Perkle. I've been Hannah. And this has been Getting Down and Wordy, where we take popular music and we make it nerdy. Uh, <laughs> check out other podcasts on our podcast network, podmoth.network, and have a great day. Bye. Bye.